Evening, everybody. Why don't you, uh, I don't know, say something nice to the person next to you and then sit down. You can take your pick what kind of nice thing you say. Just make sure it's nice. That'd be awesome. Well, good evening, everybody. And uh, as you've already been welcomed, welcome. So it's your first time, very, very warm welcome. It's your first time. I know we have some first-time visitors in, guests in. And I uh, hope you stick around, grab a coffee, make sure you get a free one, and uh, um, say hi to a few of the guys around here. If you're online, great to have you online. Thanks so much for being, being there. I've had a strange week. Have you had a strange week? Had a good week? Have you had a good week? Strange week? Good, good week? Has it been, been okay? Um, for those of you who don't know, last Saturday, so a week yesterday, I got back from India. Uh, we, did a, we did a trip out there with a few people, and I'd spent the week before walking around India. And India's a strange place in the cities, because the cities are full of people. I mean, like, full of people. Millions and millions and millions of people in a very small space. And they're everywhere. All times of day, there's always people. The cars. Cars are crazy, man. I mean, do you know we have, like, lines on our roads? In India, they're optional. <laughs> optional. Even, even both sides of the road, they're kind of optional. And, and people fill gaps. It's like the, you have the bikes, the, the motorbikes, and then you have the kind of the tuk-tuks, which are kind of so big, and then you have the cars, and you have the wagons, and every space on a road is filled. And for those who go for the first time, uh, and I was kind of in the front, I've done this before, but you can hear that, ooh, and that, ooh, because you get close. You get really close. And then we um, spent some time walking around the slum areas. And um, you uh, walk between these small houses. Some, some are made of brick. Others are just wood or corrugated iron with... Some have roofs on, some just have tarpaulins or whatever they can find to make them. And some are well kept. They might only be six foot by four, literally six foot by four for a, for a family. But you know, they're well kept. There's, there's kind of a pride and there's boxes and clothes and all that kind of stuff. Others are less so. And the smells and the sewerage, the heat. And um, it's strange. It's, it takes a while to, as it were, shake it because it's so different. And you come back, realize how rich I am, how rich everybody is in the UK. Even the poorest of us in the British Isles will be considered, will be considered one of the better off in, in the Indian slums, for sure. Then, obviously, the Queen's died. That's been, been everywhere. I am a bit of a royalist, for those of you who don't know me. And um, with the sadness, and I preached a message last Sunday morning about how the Queen, I think, has influenced the whole nation with a duty and a faith. I've actually heard stories this week that have been in some of the newspapers and on the TV of how she actually prayed for people. I didn't realize that our queen actually put her faith into operation when she was meeting senior people behind the scenes. She's been living out her faith. I mean, what an example for us. Um, and, uh, and then I've been thinking about half of the house that we've got coming up next weekend, a time where we can, as I shared on the thing, where really dreams of the kingdom that are in our heart as a church, we, we kind of invest into and hope that God would do something significant in through us and through our giving as he takes his kingdom forward. All these thoughts have been going around my mind, and then I have to preach. 
I have to practice. Well, I mean, I could get down, couldn't I? I know for one or two of you, that might be preferable. But for the rest, you're kind of expecting that I will say something. So what I want to bring tonight is, um, has kind of all elements of these thoughts going on in it. And hopefully it'll help you put into context why I have chosen, why I feel this is the right passage to bring. So I'm going to read from Matthew 25. Verses 14 through to 30. It will be entitled, in most of your Bibles, The Parable of the Talents. The Parable of the Talents. Um, Matthew 25 is actually in the middle of a, what's called a discourse. A, a, kind of a, a, a series of teachings, different stories, different parables that Matthew puts together for us. Thinking about the end of times. What's going to happen at the end of times? At the end of days, what's going to happen? Chapter 24 and 25. The experts call it the Olivet Discourse, mainly because it was preached from the Mount of Olives, or at least Matthew puts it in that package for us. And it talks about important things that we need to remember thinking about the end of times. And and Matthew puts it, the parable of talents, in the middle of that. I.e., what I'm about to speak of isn't just about now. It's about eternity. It's significant. It's something that we need to grasp hold of. Yes, it will affect our today-to-day living, but also it will affect things in all eternity. So before I begin, I'll pray, and then we'll read from Matthew 25. Father, I thank you that you are the Lord of everything. Father, I thank you that one day you'll bring it all to its glorious completion, a new heaven and a new earth, where there'll be peace and joy, no more pain or suffering, where we'll actually meet the queen face to face for those of us who love you. As she has cast her crown down before you and picked up a better crown, the crown of life. Father, we thank you for that. Father, we pray as we come tonight, open our hearts and our minds that your voice may speak to us. Help us to listen. Help us to be willing to change. And Father, I pray for any who don't know you. Father, may you open their eyes to their need of you, we pray. And Father, we long that they may respond and give their lives their hearts, their minds, their souls to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 25, beginning to read at verse 14. It says this, again, it's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to their Ability, and then he went on his journey. Let's just stop there. How much is a talent worth? Uh, this uh, it's a rhetorical question. I'm going to tell you how much it is. So a, ta- a talent, according to uh, my research, is worth 60 miners. One miner is worth 100 drachmas, and one drachma is worth one day's pay. I'm going to do the maths for you, Alex. Don't worry. And uh, now, if we took the minimum wage for a day, right? Minimum wage for a day. About 10 pounds, seven hours work, that's 70 pounds, right? So let's presume that one day's salary is 70 quid. Now, I know some of you earn a lot more than that in a day, but let's just presume that, okay? If one day is worth 70 pounds, that means that one minute is worth 7,000 pounds, 100 times, yeah? Okay? And if 60 of those make up one talent, 60 times 7,000 is... 420,000 pounds. 
Let's round it up to 500,000, right? Because it's a much easier to do calculations, right? So approximately 500,000. I also worked it out for the average wage, and that comes out at 732,000. But let's call it 500. So the guy who got five talents, ready? Got, in today's terms, 2.5 million pounds to play with. That's quite a nice amount of money, right? 2.5 million. The guy that got two per chap only got a million. But even the guy who was only worth one talent, he got half a million quid to play about with, to invest them. What Jesus is saying when he tells these stories, all of them were given significant amounts of talents, right? Now, don't think, oh, dear, the, the, the poor one that just got one eye, you know, poor guy just got one. No, 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 he still got a significant talent. Okay, it's important. And, and, and I think Jesus was making the point on purpose. I, it doesn't matter. Yes, there are some people more gifted than others. That's true. But everybody has a significant gift on their life, right? Everybody. And that's what I think he was trying to say here. Everybody's got a significant gift. Everybody is valuable. Right. We'll pick this, the, the parable on. So it says, the man who had received the five talents um, uh, put it to work at once. And put his money to work and gained five more. Also, the one who gained two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents, 2.5 million, brought the other five talents, another 2.5 million. How chuffed would he be? It's not bad, that. Double the money. 2.5 million pounds. Master said, he entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, unsurprisingly, well done, good and faithful servant. I like you. You've made me lots of money. You have been faithful with a few things. How rich was the master? A few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents um, also said, Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master, another million pounds. Very good. He said, the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received the one talent, Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, he is what belongs to you. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seen. Well then, I, he, the master tried to make the best of every resource at his fingertips. You know, he said, you knew I did that. So why have you done what you've done? Why have you done what you've done? Well then, you should have put the money on deposit with the bankers. So that when I returned, I would have at least received the interest. Um, I would have at least received it back with interest. Then said this, take the talent from him. Give it to the man who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A very strong, direct parable teaching for us. So I want to very quickly and very briefly actually just want to note five things 
I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know. But I want to suggest, for most of us, it's something that we need to do something about. The first thing is this. In verse 14, the master called his servants. He called his servants. He said, come here. Obey me. Come here. Jesus, in John chapter 12, says this about us, his disciples. John chapter 12, verse 23. He said this. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat dies to the, uh, falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds, i.e. a seed sacrificed in itself produces a great harvest. That's, that's, that's the idea. And it says this. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life, i.e. dies to himself, in this word, will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant, there will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus calls his disciples servants who have sacrificed their lives in service to the master, lay down their life. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus kind of takes it another step. Luke chapter 17, verse 5. I get the tech guys beating me to it. Luke chapter 7, verse 5. It says, Jesus says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along? Sorry, I should have started a bit sooner than that. Verse 5. The apostles, behind me, yes. The apostles said to the Lord, um, increase our faith. So this is the question, increase faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, so, sorry, this uh, mulberry tree, be uprooted and plant it in the sea, and I will, and it will obey you. So, how do I increase faith? And then Jesus goes on to explain. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say, not say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down with me? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what, was, what he was told to do? So also, when you have done everything that you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. What's Jesus trying to say? Servanthood brings fruit, brings faithfulness. If you want to be a faith-filled people, it begins in servanthood. Begins in servanthood. You know, the, these, there's, there's two servants who received an outstanding amount of money. And they took it and they served their master. We need to realize that if we're going to, as it were, enter into everything that God has for us, we need to realize that we're servants. Now, being God's servant doesn't mean we're not friends of Jesus's. It doesn't mean we're not sons and daughters of the king. It doesn't mean we're not a holy priesthood. All these things are true. They're not, they're not incompatible. But we're called to be servants. Because, you see, we need to realize that what, what we do in this world matters. What we do with what we're entrusted to matters. And this mattering begins with realizing that we are 
servants. And that's really the title of my message. What we do with what we are entrusted with matters. But, it, but for it to matter, for it to really make it, we need to realize that we are servants first. Now, I know most of you know that. But how easy it is not to, as it were, serve Jesus with all that we are and all that we have. I want to suggest that we need to take the concept of I am a servant of Jesus from our minds and place it into our hearts. Because you see, in the mind it's a theory. In our hearts becomes an attitude. And those two things are massively different for us as Christians. The second thing that we notice from Matthew 25 is this, that he entrusted his property. It says in verse 14, he entrusted his property. Psalm 50, verses 7 to 12, say this. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. But I have no need of a bull from your stall or a goat from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the fields are mine. You see, everything is God's. And if we're going to realize and make the most of all that we have, we have to realize that everything we have is God's. It's not. It's not ours. And what we do with what God has given us matters massively. Because ultimately, it's all going to go back to him. I mean, it's a true statement to say that we enter the world with nothing and we're going to leave with nothing. Right? It's just true. We know this. But in, and in between whilst we are loaned, given to rule over, for a season, that which God chooses to give us. And it matters what we do with it. When my children um, learned to drive, they borrowed our car. My car, actually. Our car. But it was the car I normally drove. Because you drive the big one, I drive the little one. Yeah, our car, you see. And uh, they knew this. They knew this. And when Thomas... He seems to have magically... Oh, no, he's there. When Thomas, sat in the middle there, crashed the car, <laughs> scraped it, knocked a... F- well, we had to replace a considerable bit, didn't we, in the end, Thomas? Yeah, we did the anyway. He was bothered. Why was he bothered? Because it was my car, and he had to tell me what he'd done to it. It actually took me about 48 hours to figure out what he'd actually done. Anyway, we won't go into details, will we, Thomas? Because it's embarrassing. (laughs) But you see, Thomas knew that it was my car that I had lent him. And if he did something wrong with it, then he'd have to come back to me, and to his mum, obviously, and explain his actions of why he'd misused that which he'd been entrusted with, right? And we get that. Any parent who's lent the car understands, or lent anything else that's thinking, God lends us part of his creation, part of his resources, right? And it matters that we use them wisely for him. It's why this is one of the kingdom parables, end of time parables. Why? Because in the end, we have to, the Bible says, give an account of everything that we've done with the stuff that God's entrusted with. Why? Because it's his, and we're just borrowing it. 
And it's important that, that, that we realize it's not ours. And we need to have the same attitude, not just to money. This is about money, obviously, a lot of money. But our, our property, the things that we own, our houses, our cars, our record collections, our book collections, whatever it is, we, we need to realize they're all God's. They're all God's. They're all His. Even our life, Genesis 2, 7 talks about that God gives us our breath of life. He breathes into us to make us alive. Hebrews 1, verse 3 says that it's Jesus that sustains us. Even our very existence is a gift from God that we need to use for his glory. Now, most of you know this, right? This is not new teaching. But again, I want to suggest that it needs to go from our minds into our hearts. Not be a theory, but actually becomes an attitude of life, a way that we live. We realize when we spend money. Now, please don't hear me. God does give us stuff to enjoy, right? He does. He gives us money to enjoy. He wants to bless us. He wants us to enjoy. His. I'm not saying that, but our overriding understanding all the time needs to be, this is God's, and God's entrusted me to use this well and wisely for his kingdom. The third thing I want to say is this. Two servants did good, and one servant was, was wicked. Two servants did good, one servant was wicked. It's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. If you come here often, you'll, you'll know it's one of my kind of fondest passages in the world. It says, there are different kinds of gifts, different kinds of talents, but... The same spirit. There are different kinds of services, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each, the manifestation of the spirit, the gifts, the talent is given for the common good. And we can either use what God has given us for good or for evil. This is my simple point is there's a choice to make. There's a choice to make. And one of the saddest things about our present generation is they don't make thought-out choices. They go with the flow. Christian, don't go with the flow. Read the Bible, figure it out, and then make a choice, a biblical choice in everything that you do. The way you spend the money, the way you spend your time, the way you use your resources like your houses and your cars, the things that you do, the time that you have, make sure you're making a choice to do good, good as in that which God would want you to do, rather than wicked, that which God would not want you to do, right? You can even do good and do wicked at the same time. The Pharisees were told off for this. They did lots of good, but it wasn't what God wanted. In fact, they even did good to kind of, as it were, not to do the good they were supposed to do. Like they're supposed to look after their parents, but rather than look after the parents, they'd give it to the church or something, they'd give it to the temple. They'd, they'd, they'd actually do bad while they were doing good. Let's not do that. Let's think carefully about what we're using so that we may do that which God wants us to do rather than, what God, rather than not what God doesn't want us to do. The, the, the fourth thing is this. Two servants were faithful. And Jesus describes the other one as lazy. Faithful. They use what God had given them, what the master had given them to forward the master's cause. They were faithful. They doubled what the master had given them. One of them was lazy. He actually describes himself as fearful, doesn't he? He describes himself as fearful in verse 25. He says, I was fearful, therefore I went to hide the money. Because I knew you were a hard master and you 
etc., etc. He did those things. But Jesus says he was lazy. He was lazy and fearful. Why? Because he did not understand the principles of the kingdom. The principles of the kingdom. And Jesus wanted us, his disciples, to understand the principles of the kingdom. But you see, there was a, an either-or case here, wasn't there? There was the guys that kind of served the, the master. Blessing followed them, right? There was then the one that didn't. It went terribly wrong for him, right? There was an either or an or. There wasn't like the servant that invested the master's money and lost it all, right? That, that's, that's not in the parable, and that's significant. Why? I want to read Deuteronomy 28 to you. Um, I like Deuteronomy. It's a great book. I know some of you probably don't, but I want to read. This is what God says about the people of Israel, right? And we need to remember this as Christians, as we serve him, as we give our talents and gifts to him. It says this. So this is Moses speaking directly from God. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all of the nations on the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and will accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. You'll be, you'll be blessed of, the, of your womb. Sorry. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land, and the young of your livestock, the cars of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in, and you'll be blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, and they will flee from you. From in, they will flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land He is giving you. You see, the lazy servant was fearful because he didn't understand what happens when people use their talents to forward the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus didn't have, it was just an either or an or, you see. Because Jesus understood the Old Testament. He understood the blessings of God. He understood that those who give their gifts and talents into the kingdom of God and serve God primarily, then God pours out his blessing on them. He blesses their bonds. He blesses their families. He blesses them in many different ways. Now, I want to say personally, the Bible does not guarantee if you follow him, you'll be rich. It doesn't do that or free from persecution, or free from health problems, or all the other things. They happen to, to everybody. But he'll bless you in the ways that you need. And the ways we really need is to know that eternity is our home. To know that Christ is our, and God has got us and our children and everything in his hands. You see, the servant was wicked and lazy because he didn't understand the teachings of Scripture and the w- way that the kingdom of God works. And we need to realize as we serve God as we recognize that everything is his, that if we put them to use, does it work better the master, then actually God will bless that work. God will bless that work. He will bless it. Why? Because that's the way the kingdom works. That is the way that God works. But, and this is really key, even though the servant returned the talent, right? So he, he didn't lose it. So he returned the half a million pounds, which, I mean, it's the worst thing that's going to happen, right? Which is the same thinking. Actually, Jesus is trying to say that is still a wicked thing to do. Okay? So that 
The gifts and talents that God has given you should cause a return for the kingdom. If you understand the principles of the Bible, God blesses that which we give to him and use for him. There should be a kingdom return. It means none of you, none of us who love Jesus, cannot serve God and give our gifts and our talents, our resources, our finance, into his hands for him to use for his glory. Because fifthly, there are consequences. And let's face it, Jesus was pretty brutal about the consequences. I'll just reread it to you, verses 28 through to 30. Jesus says, Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. James 2. See, James, well, I presume James was listening to this. And James got what it meant. James 2, verse 14, James says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is out clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, uh, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You see, those who know Jesus and love Jesus and understand his principles, their life reflects that in action and deed. Salvation is free. But what we do with what we're entrusted with matters. It really, really matters. It matters eternally. You know, verse 21 and 23, Jesus says to the five talent and the two talent, come in, come, enjoy the master's happiness. The other one gets thrown outside where there's darkness and gnashing of teeth. Real significance. And temporarily, I believe, is true for us. If you would use your glyphs and your talents for Jesus and put him first, he will add things into your mix. He will add new opportunities, new ministries, new gifts, new talents, fruit in your life that will help you achieve even more of him. Why? Because he will trust you to use those things wisely. But also, if you don't trust him, if you don't use them for his glory and for his kingdom, he will begin to remove them one by one. I've been a pastor long enough to see it. And I rejoice with those that give willingly all that they have to see their lives flourish and do something amazing. And for those that maybe don't, how somehow life just keeps going backwards for them. This, this passage I've been pondering on as I've been to India, as I've thought about the queen and the duty and the honor that she's given God over the years. So I've been thinking for heart for the house. Each one of us are richly blessed. And whatever you decide to do next weekend, that's between you and God, and it really is. But it doesn't change the call each one of us have on our lives, which is to be God's servants, to, to honor God in all that we do, and all that we have, to seriously make 
choices, not accidents or going with the flow. And that we must do something, realizing that we do something, God will use it and bless us. Because that's a kingdom principle that the Bible talks about often. And I want to just say to all of those of you who choose to do that, that God will bless you. He'll bless you in the ways that you don't know it will be perfect for you. And uh, I have, uh, we have endeavored to live like this our, our lives. And our lives aren't perfect. We have our struggles and heartaches. For those of you who don't know us, we just do. But I stand here knowing that I've done and been blessed in ways I never thought possible. Never thought possible. I still have to pinch myself walking through the streets of India. In fact, me and Andy were there, for those of you who know my brother, saying, how did two farmer's sons from the back end of Guzna end up walking through the slums of Calcutta together? How did that happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. We both decided when we were young that God was the one who would serve and everything that we had would be his. And like I say, it doesn't guarantee a perfect life and there'll be lots of ups and downs. But we both feel blessed beyond measure because we want our talents to be used for the King of kings and Lord of lords first and foremost. And as we go, we know God will bless us and our families. And I want to encourage you for each one of us to do that. Father, I thank you for this simple parable. This speaks profoundly into our lives. Father, help us to get this idea of that we are servants from our minds and into our hearts. Father, this, this idea that everything that we have belongs to you. Father, help us to get that from our heads into our hearts. Not just our belongings, but our time, our whole lives. And Father, help us to choose well. And Father, help us to do something knowing that as we give ourselves to you in this way, that you will cause blessing to flow in our lives and through into other people. Father, and as we do that, you will entrust it to us more and more. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.